I want to go as far as to say it's one of the best beers in the world. I know that's crazy to say. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and in this episode, we bring the hops to the forefront, reviewing the year in beer with industry expert Danny Fullpint. Danny may be familiar to some of you as the co-founder of The Fullpint, an authority in craft beer news via its website and podcast, and Danny also was on this very podcast earlier this year to showcase his chops for the hops and our craft beer draft. That was episode 42, back in May for anybody who'd like to check that out. And we kick off this conversation by exploring a recent hiatus Danny took from beer and the value of recalibrating things. I think his story and the experience he gained from that is so commendable. And now that he's back into it, we also, of course, dig into the top trends and storylines in the beer world in 2021, plus some predictions for 2022. And then, since no year-end review is complete without an end-of-year countdown, we run through our favorite beers we enjoyed in 2021. One quick housekeeping note, if you want some bets to pair with your beer, check out the Cutting Edge Quick Pick section for free at Dimers.com. You can find a link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my conversation on the year-end beer with Danny Fullpint. Danny Fullpint, welcome back to Props and Hops. You joined us in May. That was episode 42 in the archives. If anybody wants to go check out an epic craft beer draft that you and I did along with a couple other good friends. Thanks for coming back on the show. How's life treated you? Life is doing good. It's been a great 2021. I know for some it was not so good, but you know, over here, the Fullpint headquarters, I've uh, been doing a lot of work-life balance, a lot of uh, creativity, uh, giving, giving the full pint some uh, fresh breath of air. Uh, things are going pretty good. I know one of the big experiences that you've had recently, you shared a bit on, on the Full Pint podcast, going through a pretty extended beer break. And off the top, I just want to commend you for that. Um, I think a lot of us could probably benefit from just recalibrating when the time is right. You know, beer, alcohol can be really fun. Um, also important for us to remain the ones in control of something that can be a really enjoyable hobby. And just wanted to see how that experience was for you over the course of uh, maybe it started in 2020, but ran into 2021 as well. Yeah, Matt. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of, as, as you would know, is there's a lot of perks uh, to being part of the beer industry, being part of beer media. And that includes countless beer dinners, beer travel, bottle shares, beer festivals, beer weeks in any city. It just can go on and on and on. And it, it, you know, if you, you do it for 13, 12, 13, 14 years, it all starts to blur together. Uh, you're not counting your calories. It's like how many, how many orders of chili fries have I had over the course of the year? How many, uh, you know, how many times did, should I have stopped drinking for the evening and kept going for another three hours uh, you know, uh, I remember years ago, uh, we tried to mix in, uh, the five star energy, which was like, uh, like a walking blackout, just a real bad idea. Lots of, 
hard living and, and it's nobody made me do this. It was just kind of part of the culture and me having a good time. But, you know, you eventually are going to hit a wall with that lifestyle. And I was fortunate enough to make it out the other side of that. And part of my journey to recalibrating, you know, how I behave, how I enjoy beer uh, involved taking a, a year hiatus from wow. drinking all alcohol. And it was powerful. It was, it wasn't something, you know, you see some people ha have a hard time doing that kind of thing. It's especially when it's part of your life and it's part of your hobby and it's part of your, your business. Um, but having that kind of control w w felt so good. Um, being able to observe what life is like without all of that, that going on, um, and to see, well, what parts did I love? What parts did I hate? What parts do I never want to be involved with again? But then again, you know, there's also parts that I said, well, there was some stuff that I really appreciated, uh, you know, lots of friendship, camaraderie, getting experiencing, you know, new cities and stuff. Um, so I just got to recalibrate everything. And it was one of the best uh, things to ever happen to me. Um, and so you know, uh, at the end of June, I decided, well, uh, I've served my time in, in beer jail and <laughs> it's, it's time, you know, to take a new approach, slow things down a little bit and, uh, you know, re fall in love with beer. And, you know, that's what I did. Yeah, well, once again, I want to applaud you for that. And as much as we're commending the beer break, we will certainly get into plenty of beer talk over the course of this conversation uh, now that you're uh, back in the saddle. But I think it sounds like in a much healthier frame of mind. Again, I think that recalibration, something that's always worth just keeping in mind. Uh, a lot of times we can be not in need of a severe change, but little tweaks we can make here and there. Sometimes a harder reset might be necessary. And I think you're a great example of taking action like that and one follow-up, I'd be curious, you know, from my standpoint, following what you've done with your podcast, your work on thefullpint.com, it wasn't even apparent to me that you were taking this break until I heard you talk about it. So when you referenced just how big a part of your life everything was being part of the beer industry, um, what was it like for you to keep everything running with the full pint without really drinking on your own? How disruptive was that or, or did it in any way bring some unexpected upside? Well, uh, I, I'm still a little shy as to what actually happened to me, but it was uh, traumatic enough to where I, you know, I was on disability. I was on, on a lot of medication and, and a road to recovery. Um, and it wasn't directly alcohol related, just to be frank. I'm not pointing fingers at anything. It's just overall uh, an, a health incident, we'll call it. And uh, I came out of immediately out of that, I, I had some resentment and I was like, you know what, time to call it quits, time to fold this company, uh, time to find a healthier hobby. Um, and I had a lot of anger and resentment and I, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror at first to be like, you know what, I made a lot of bad choices. Um, but I decided, well, uh, I'm, I'm still going to keep things going, but I really wasn't feeling it. And uh, it was very interesting to talk to, you know, Andy and other people I'm interviewing as I'm working through this inner struggle going, God, do I even want to keep doing this? But, you know, I thought, you know what, I can't, you know, I can't abandon something that I've worked so hard to, to build over the years. 
and said, you know what, I'm just going to keep this going. Um, and, you know, uh, if I decide I want to fold it, I'll do it with a clear head. And as, you know, I got myself back to health, I said, you know what, um, people are still entertained and people are still following along for some reason. I thought, you know, with the pandemic and me kind of taking a knee out on the field, I figured, well, that's probably in any way, no one's paying attention, but you know, I was getting feedback that I like, kind of like what you're saying. I was just really surprised. People were still hanging on to my words and my hot takes and my garbage takes. Um, and I'm like, you know, uh, let's keep this going. As long as people are still entertained, uh, that's enough fuel for me to, to keep it going. You mentioned Andy a few moments ago. I believe that's a reference to Andy Carter. Correct me if I'm wrong, the president of the California Homebrewers Association. And I know that you've been working a lot more with him lately. What's that been like? Andy is a good cat. I met him probably about five, six years ago and probably before that, who knows? Um, uh, I think first uh, in real life uh, encounter was a Firestone Walker invitational. And I just know the guy's got the gift of gab. He's real sharp. He's got a, a kind of like a news guy vibe going on to him. And uh, it's been nothing but a pleasure. He's kind of like counters my off the cuff wildness with some more structure and some more research so we kind of play off each other where i throw a wild ass pitch and he kind of you know can kind of get that thing in in line and go okay well all right maybe you're right but here's the data behind it so we kind of compliment complement each other in that respect yeah and i'll make sure at the end of this we'll be plugging your work up but if listeners take one takeaway from this conversation checking out the full pint podcast if they're not doing so already uh, if you have any interest in what's going on in the beer world i'd say that's a can't miss listen and at this point as we get about eight minutes into the conversation i think we can uh, live up to the billing of the episode the year in beer and let's make a pivot to what happened from a macro you know level industry standpoint in 2021 I'd love to get your thoughts on some of the top trends and storylines of the year. I know myself, other people I'm close with, maybe having some blind spots as beer geeks. But if you take a step back, look at the industry as a whole, what do you think were some of the bigger developments that we saw over the course of 2021? Well, I think that a lot of breweries that were able to do so were able to pivot to, uh, you know, this is industry jargon, but DTC or direct to consumer where uh, breweries couldn't necessarily have foot traffic in their tasting room. Uh, they weren't able to sell kegs to bars because there wasn't enough business, you know, to be had by that logistical issues. Uh, breweries that never thought about just selling directly to the customer via uh, four packs and six packs of cans, mixed cases, they started doing that and they started flourishing. And that was fun to see. Um, you know, from New York to California, people were were beginning little side hustles or little new channels of of selling beer. Like, you know, other half uh, brewing out of New York City was posting delivery maps. And that was just fantastic considering just not too many years ago, people were lining around the block to buy it from other half. Um, you know, here in California, we're in the land of riches where any awesome brewery you can think of, Monkish, Cellar Maker, uh, Green Cheek, the whole gamut, you could do a couple clicks and have the beer that you used to have to work hard for to show up at your house. Um, I just find that to be remarkable. 
Uh, I also think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go with the Forbes and the Vin pair, whatever headlines about, you know, the sky is falling with craft sell or not craft seltzer, but hard seltzer. But I really feel like it didn't take hold like everybody predicted uh, a year prior. Yeah, let's I want to follow up on both of those topics. But when you mentioned shipping, I mean, it's one of my favorite days. It's probably every month to six weeks. I'll do a half case delivery from Green Cheek. And when the delivery man shows up at the door and I get that, you know, fresh delivery right to my door without having to make the hour drive each way, it, it still feels magical, you know, about a year into this. It's just such an amazing experience. And I think it's such a win, obviously, for me as the consumer. I feel like it's probably a nice win for the brewery being able to go right to me versus having to use, you know, a distribution partner and, and probably losing a cut of the revenue. So how do you see the trend of shipping direct to consumer developing any further possibly in 2022 so uh one of the predictions on the prediction show we just dropped on the full pint podcast i discussed with andy that i feel like there is going to be some when when things start to level out with the pandemic um which is funny because it's it's varying depending on what state and you know what color state you are um I think that there's going to be some people that are left in the dust from this that are going to be putting their hand out. So you got the, the bottle shop guy, right. Who's, who's been counting on uh, some, some special goodies. You got the distributors who have a whole ecosystem. You have the drivers, you have, you have all, you have all this economy behind the old way of doing business. They're not going to want to be left in the dust. So someone has to figure out what's going to, happen with that yeah i wonder if there's a way i think when you and andy spoke again on the 2022 prediction show it sounded like maybe some of the bigger distributors could partner with uh breweries that are going direct to consumer and instead of you know using in california like a, a gso golden state overnight or a more traditional shipping partner the distributor maybe plays part in that delivery not just driving to liquor stores and, and supermarkets, but maybe to residential drop-off locations as well. That sounds like a possible compromise where everybody can still stay in the game. I know for breweries that self-distribute, um, you know, that scares me a little bit. The smaller breweries that I tend to like the best, um, if they run into any trouble with, you know, being forced into the distribution tier, do you think there is any opportunity for those smaller self-distributors um, to maintain, you know, a healthy footing when we know that over the last year, shipping direct to consumer has really probably kept some of these great breweries afloat. I think the ones that are able to, the ones with the more relaxed laws like California, like Oregon, like Washington, um, I think they're going to uh, have a healthy balance when people feel comfortable enough to still go to the tasting room, get their growler fills, get their four packs there. Um, I know that, you know, just from firsthand experience, there is a, there's a ceiling for the self-distribution model. So El Segundo Brewing, uh, we all know and love, uh, great IPA makers uh, right by uh, LA, LA Airport. And they were doing self-distribution. They had a few vans. They had somebody, you know, working tirelessly to unload to liquor stores, grocery stores all over. But it got to a point where they wanted to get out of the truck driving business and the logistics business. So there's it's if a brewery wants growth, there's a certain ceiling for the direct to consumer. Like if you want to pump out volume, you're going to need to use all your channels. 
So got it. It's you know it's great, but there's a, a limit because then you know then then you're dealing with a fleet, and then you're dealing you are you're a different business. You're not just a beer maker now. You are a logistics company. So I think it's anyone who wants to get over a certain amount of barrels a year will have to maybe do you know for fun do some direct to consumer, or they're going to have to partner with a logistics company. So it'll be interesting. Yes, I will keep my fingers crossed that everybody can play nice and keep the possibility alive again to get those green cheek deliveries or just a couple weeks ago, uh, Tim from Celador was at my house dropping off a box that I'd ordered online because they deliver all over LA County. And there's just something that's so awesome about that. I think it really strengthens a lot of the, um, I don't know, something feels more personal with these smaller craft breweries being able to support them. Um, and at the same time, understanding that these are also businesses oftentimes looking to scale up. I, I think there is a way to make this work for all parties involved and as distribution, you know, maybe tries to elbow its way back into the equation in 2022. We'll just keep my fingers crossed that everybody can uh, keep the possibilities alive for this beer shipping, you know, right to people's doors. That's been such a godsend. If we're going to take any silver linings from the pandemic, you know, we, we might as well. And, and that's been at the top of my list as far as craft beer is concerned. And I also wanted to follow up with you mentioning seltzer. I'm wondering if the you know seltzer industry losing its luster might be due to a lack of occasions with people getting together. And it's weird because when I first had that thought about seltzer, I'm like, that's that's a low ABV product. You know, it's much different than the big barrel aged stouts and bombers. Of course, those are, are tough to you know handle on your own. But I think about a lot of my friends that have gotten into seltzer much more than I have. And it was, you know, at Coachella or if they're renting out a big house in Palm Springs for a weekend with a bunch of friends and, you know, with a lack of bigger gatherings, you know, maybe, you know, uh, a seltzer by yourself watching TV at night doesn't have the same kind of appeal. So do you think anything related to seltzer losing some luster could be due to just a lack of occasions in general for beer or any other alcohol sharing? I think that there's two things. I think what you're saying is very correct. Um, but I also, my, and I'm just one drinker, right? I feel like uh, it's also a weather-based beverage. So I'm going to the beach. I'm hanging out on the deck. I'm going to the pool. Uh, those are all things that you want a low ABV crusher for. Um, you know, if you're, you're hunkering down in the basement in Chicago, you're going for those stouts. You're going for the double IPAs. Um, it's funny. I have a friend, a very close friend who is just taking a beer break just for other beverages. And she was so happy about the truly holiday pack. Hmm. So if, if some of these seltzer makers, and I don't know how many are going to hang in there can, try and make you feel like you're not drinking a summer beverage that might be the way they can make it but i'm not really concerned about these people making it anyway so <laughs> yeah you might be more concerned about people making a different kind of easy drinking crushable beer and and that would be maybe more in the lager world where i feel like you know the running joke has been it's going to be the year of the lager right right every year i've been in their yep. craft beer uh, but I have noticed, you know, again, being one drinker, I, I like your point, you know, we, we might be in our own bubbles a little bit, but I've definitely gravitated toward the lighter side of things more often over the past couple years, just knowing if I want, you know, more than one or two drinks to keep my wits about me, and, and I want a drinking session that's going to last more than 40 minutes, lager can be, you know, a better way to go as delicious as the hazy double IPAs and big barrel aged stouts and sours can be. 
Um, so loggers may be actually gaining that foothold that's been long rumored. How have you seen that uh, taking hold from your point of view? Well, it's amazing that if if you follow big beer news, uh, Modelo, Especial, and Michelob Ultra are like the two best-selling beers in the country right now. And so you kind of get in the mind of the, I don't like seltzer, I don't like IPA, and I don't care about the price tag on craft beer, and they go for those two beers. Now, I am a fan of Modelo. Uh, I, I prefer it in the can versus the bottle. I don't think it's the best lager I've ever had. I don't even think it's in the top 100 best lagers I've ever had, but I respect what it is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just a no nonsense, uh, can of beer. And, you know, for me though, I, I, I love a well-made beer and I think that, uh, it's been interesting to see some different, types of lagers getting sprinkled into the to the hazy drops that we're seeing from all of our favorite breweries. So you name one of your favorite breweries and every maybe once a month, every two months, you'll see them do something crazy. Like, Oh, here's a four pack of Dunkel or here's a four pack of check pills. And you're like, yes, I want that. I want to try that. I want to drink that. And usually if they're great at making IPAs, they're also really taking their time and nailing these uh, traditional style lagers. And I'm here for it every day. Yeah, and as you talk about some of those favorite breweries of uh, a lot of us beer fans out there, I'd love to also touch on maybe the the state of brewery memberships as we flip the calendar from 2021 over to 22. Um, I am a Horace Convocation member. I believe you are too. And it's been interesting for me to you know hear from uh, Kyle Harrop, uh, who operates Horace basically as a one-man show, uh, speak recently about some trouble with packaging. I mean, the supply chain issues are hitting everybody in pretty much every industry. But um, as much as I love his beers, it can be tough to, you know, open up a bomber of a 15% ABV Imperial Stout. You know, it tastes great, but I would love three right. ounces of it. Circling back to an earlier point, fewer occasions right now to share those beers. So I'm kind of sitting on them and it seems like he's aware of this and it's just difficult to source smaller glass bottles at this point. So that's one thing that might affect um, you know, breweries that have a, a really big following and are trying to appease their members, sometimes the supplies just aren't there. Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, a spot like the brewery, B-R-U-E-R-Y. I know they've partnered up with you at the Full Pine, and, and I've heard them advertising now for their membership, which used to be, you know, I, I think quite the extensive waiting list just to get into so with those factors in mind, maybe anything else that you're privy to, what do you think of the state of brewery memberships as we wrap up 2021? Well, um, you know, I, I, I've been friends with the brewery since they've opened and I, I kind of have an inside uh, track with them, obviously. Um, Firestone Walker, another company I'm very close with, yeah. they just they just expanded their, their brewmasters uh, collective. Um, one thing we're going to see... And it's so funny, again, ha, 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 the year of the lager. Uh, look out for the brewery to be dropping a fresh beer membership program. Mm. So we're not talking about the 750 milliliters of 18% stout. We're talking four packs of Hellas lager and crispy IPA. And I think there's going to be a little something for everybody in, the, in that membership model. We got you know Great Notion Brewing now they've figured some way out to go direct to consumer in this beautifully polished box. It looks like a box of, of air Jordans now. And you can, you know, it's all about the imagination and not overwhelming. I think 
that's the fine line with whether it's the brewery or Firestone Walker or modern times after a couple of years of being a member and you go look in your closet and you see a couple boxes stacked and you're like, Oh, I never drank that. Um, and nobody wants to trade for it because everybody else has the same boxes in their closet. So uh, it, it's all about keeping it fresh, keeping it unique. And, and, you know, I think the smartest thing anyone can do is also throw in some very low production, very rare gems in there just to keep the interest going. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I'm glad that that appears to be looming on the horizon for us. And as we look back at 2021, I also want to look ahead a bit to 2022. One of the predictions I've heard you mention a couple of times now would be maybe looking for, you know, a bit of an acceleration in some consolidation, but perhaps with a twist, not necessarily big beer, just buying everybody out. How do you see that unfolding over the course of this next year? I think we're going to see some buds and some people that have like, you know, spent some time in Denver at a convention, just like spitballing, like, Hey, why don't we join forces? Maybe we're in the same state or maybe we're in two states with similar alcohol regulations. Let's combine forces um, to stay strong, to stay healthy and viable. And I really can't think of any, like, I mean, there's a couple you know, maybe five, six-year-old breweries in San Diego, I could see this being being good for uh, even some longtime players. I think we'll, like, we'll see some, some people that have been in the game more like the 15, 20-year mark who might be like, you know what, We're, we've hit a ceiling. Um, we don't really want to reinvest again. You know, it's like kind of getting a second and a third mortgage. So it's like, hey, why don't we combine forces to get to the next level? I think it's a, it can be a strategy if, both companies have fairly decent health. If, you know, obviously a company that's doing real bad, isn't going to team up with one that's flourishing. That would make no sense, but two, two breweries on similar footing that want to get to the next level seems like it might be something worth a try. And I feel like we're going to see a couple of them. And two specific ones that I heard you mention on the prediction show for the full pint podcast would be two of my favorite breweries, green cheek being my clear number one, and Highland Park being uh, definitely on my podium of the best breweries in Southern California. If they were to team up or if similar breweries were to do the arrangement that you just outlined, how do you see that unfolding? Um, part of me would be so thrilled to, you know, to get two of my favorites teaming up like that. And part of me would be afraid of losing the opportunity to go to, you know, is it just Highland Park still in their Chinatown spot in downtown LA? Or is it still just Green Cheek in Orange and Costa Mesa? And I believe they have a third spot coming soon in the Huntington Beach area. Um, do you think they would continue to operate independently, but maybe also open up some shared spaces? Or would it just become kind of one blended company? All the spots stay open, but it's under the umbrella of both breweries moving I think forward. I think the identities would stay uh, separate. I mean, and this is all my imagination, of course. Um, I think that's the strength of, you know, I don't want, a Highland Park hazy. I want a green cheek hazy, but I don't want a, a green cheek lager. I want a Highland Park lager. And there's, if if you're really a beer fan of like, say those two brands or even put cellar maker in the mix, all those breweries have a unique house character to everything they do. And that's what makes them special. It just, sometimes I see these beer buds, they're all on the same footing, same age of their company, uh, same kind of like demographic for their fan base. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a new twist on the collaboration, but 
you know, that's a little beyond me, but I think we're going to see probably companies a little more mature than the ones that I'm dreaming up of. I think it'll be stuck people that are like, have been in the game at the year 10, year 15 mark that are like, all right, we've hit a ceiling. We can only make this much beer a year. Um, we're not getting any more retail or we're not getting any more foot traffic. Let's, let's do something besides going to the bank and asking for another couple million to have, you know, more tanks put in. Got it. Well, I, I like your vision of this potential outlook for consolidation. So definitely going to stay tuned to see how that plays out. And we've touched on hard seltzer already. Something else that uh, seems to be really in vogue for a bit. And I want to get your read on the trajectory moving forward would be smoothie style beers. I know bottle logic has, you know, started to make a name for itself with that style I think Pure Project had actually a smoothie machine when I visited their Balboa location in San Diego a couple months ago. And that was kind of cool. You could have one of their sours just on tap, and then you could also have it out of the machine to kind of see the difference. A nice way to definitely appeal to more than just the hardcore hazy IPA barrel-aged stout beer geeks. Um, You also mentioned Great Notion making inroads in California, which I am absolutely loving. They seem to do some pretty good, um, pretty popular smoothie style stuff as well. And on one hand, it can be, you know, really delicious. On the other hand, you mentioned counting calories, and sometimes it might not taste like beer to people, even if it tastes really good. So what do you make of the smoothie style moving forward? You know what? So when I got into craft beer, probably when I got out of college, this is, you know, around 2000 to 2005. And even before that, when I was a kid, there was a stigma around fruit beer. So when I was a kid, there was a, a beer called Pete's Strawberry Blonde Ale. And there was, a, it was the company was called like Pete's Wicked Ale. And that was like that and Sam Adams Boston Lager were the only two craft beers that anybody knew by name then. And people made fun of Pete's Strawberry Blonde Ale. And of course, a 16, 17-year-old me was like, this is freaking rad. Uh, this tastes like a strawberry lemonade beer. And this is great. Um, but largely... Uh, there was a machismo vibe going on of that's girl beer, that's wimpy beer, that's not beer. This is this is uh, you know this is a, a kids beverage or this is for women or something misogynistic or very dismissive. And we've come a long way, Matt. We we you know Radiant Beer Company out of Anaheim has a, like a fro uh, like a frozen beer machine that they you know, pump out pretty much a, a version of a Slurpee in a beer. Um, I've had the great notion, uh, the strawberry smoothie, smoothie beer. Uh, it's not for me, but I'll tell you what, why would you want to turn away a customer or turn away money when, so maybe they make about, you know, ah, let's just say five barrels of beer a month that they turn into fruit smoothie and they, they, they rake in some money. They make people happy uh, why would you not do it? It's just, you know, I'm glad that it's a more accepted thing than back when I was a, a youngster. And even as far as 10, 15 years ago, it's, uh, you know, let's stop just saying what beer is and what isn't and let the, let the customer decide if nobody likes a frozen sweet dessert, like beer, no one will buy it. No one will keep brewing it. So I would say, keep that option on the table. I'm I'm really fine with it. And I I don't see it taking over the world. I don't think there's going to be a tasting room of just smoothie, smoothie beer um, or smoothie seltzer. Even I just think that it's a nice 
fun thing to have on your menu. And if it's, if it's not cost prohibitive and it's making people happy, just do it. And I think we'll see a couple more stabs at it. And, you know, I've also heard the crazy lore of some people put in like added code beer and just put a lot of sugar in it and fruit puree. That's fine too. If that's a creative way to not have a lot of waste, let's go for that too. Yeah. To your point kind of all comes down to supply and demand. And I like that maybe one thing to try to, look for big picture in 2022 ideally would be just being more open-minded about letting people drink what they enjoy and on the business side let breweries you know make money and, and run their businesses as best they can and to your point if there's something that i don't like or you don't like and we don't buy it if enough people feel that way then it's gonna go away and if we don't like it and everybody else does nobody's forcing us to drink it so it's not like we're any worse off so Maybe that's a good thing to keep in mind moving forward as we head into a new year. And I also wanted to make sure we could fit in an end of year countdown. I feel like no, no New Year's episode would be fitting without that. And to that end, let's do a countdown of, uh, we'll say, your favorite beers that you've had this year, kind of grouping them by style as we did in our California Craft Brewery draft back in May. And to kick it off, Danny, is there a favorite West Coast IPA that you've enjoyed in 2021? Golly. So I'll tell you any of the, the seasonal rotation, uh, pizza port, uh, West coast IPAs. I can't tell you the names of them because they're all blending in, in my mind, but they, they seem to have hit their stride in terms of coming out with a quarterly West coast IPA. I, I, I can't, you know, complain about any of them. I had an amazing, uh, West coast IPA is dead from green cheek. Phenomenal. Yeah phenomenal just incredible um i would say that was probably uh one of the best west coast ipas i've had in a long time yeah agreed and i love when they they name things just with such a you know tongue-in-cheek kind of tone uh even the artwork it's almost like a, a tombstone and you, you right. know when you have that style if they keep making it then it's going to be alive and well because it is it is just too good um, but fitting for you to mention Pizza Port as the guy who drafted Pizza Port for the West Coast IPA category yeah. um, back in that May episode. I like how you brought it full circle. I'm going to go with a West Coast IPA from a brewery that I wasn't able to take in the draft because it got scooped up before I had the chance. And that would be Russian Rivers, Pliny the Younger. And I know that's a big one every year, but something that was a, a kind of fun twist in 2021 um, making the most out of the situation where they unfortunately couldn't have the big Pliny the Younger release parties at the breweries in Santa Rosa and Windsor up in the northern part of the state. They bottled and shipped Pliny the Younger for the first time. And that online sale, I mean, that was a high-speed lottery. It pretty much that broke was. the internet. Yeah, it almost broke my soul when I struck out, but fortunately was able to trade for it. And again, if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, I'm going to take it. Nothing like a full bottle of Pliny the Younger from the comfort of your own home. Are you going to visit this year? They're uh, doing it in person again. It is high on my radar. Yeah, I haven't booked anything yet, but that's one of the next things I'd like to do. I, I need to confirm the dates. I know it's always, you know, usually early to mid-February once the Super Bowl wraps up and the uh, the props side of this podcast is taken care of for the NFL season, then the right. hops are going to take center stage. How about you? I love it. Uh, I usually am, uh, I, I depend on going to some, some Pliny the Younger events here in LA. I've never made the trek. It's something I have to do. It's on my list. 
Yeah, it sounds like one of those pilgrimages. We're lucky to be in an area where for pretty much the month of February, there's going to be, you know, a handful of opportunities to to find this highly sought after beer um, and, you know, not have to bend over backward to get your hands on it. But to do, you know, to do the thing in Santa Rosa at the OG Russian River location, yes. just seems like one of those bucket list items for any, you know, hardcore beer fan. Um, right. So, yeah, I'll be in touch. If I'm able to book anything, then we'll see if All we right. can meet up. Um, Sounds good. I know we were fortunate to meet up at a, a woodshop uh, beer tasting event a few weeks Ooh, ago. Yeah. And it would be really fun to, uh, again, bring that experience uh, up north to Santa Rosa as well. Yes. But speaking yep. of something from that woodshop event, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and I, I guess go first with this transition to the hazy IPA category. Chow, chow, chow. A triple dry hopped, triple IPA by Monkish. Um I saw that, you know, get announced and I, before I even tasted it, I'm like, this might be the IPA to end all IPAs, um, exclusively using Citra, which is my favorite hop, uh, just to the max, grapefruit, mango, pineapple, enough of a hop bite to remind you it is still a beer for those that want to debate if something tastes fruity, but still beer, no question about it with chow, chow, chow. And I was blown away to see that, uh, on tap at the woodshop event. I didn't know that Monkish was packaging that up for anybody outside of what they kept at their own brewery and the limited number of cans that they sold. Um, so to be able to revisit it on tap at the Woodshop event after going through my four pack in no time, uh, just such a godsend. And it's going to be hard, I think, for any hazy IPA to top that one in my book. But Danny, what have you enjoyed this year in the hazy IPA style? <laughs> I want to say none, but then you're like, why did I even have this guy on the show? Um, I, you know, That's I'm, fair. No, I'm let's, not, let's I'm not a haze boy. I've had some good ones. I mean, Pretty much anything Monkish makes for me is a great hazy IPA. Um, you know, they they're you know I've I had a fresh can of Foggier Window this year that I just thought was mm. completely delightful. Uh, I I'm not in that camp of all Monkish IPAs are the same, but uh, you know a a a one you know a something under thirty days old from Monkish is you know hits me right in the sweet spot. Um, you know, I take little sips of, you know, the stuff Highland Park makes. Usually when I'm there on site, that's how I finish my trip there is, you know, maybe like a six ounce of uh, their hazy double IPA. Yeah, I like that they do small pours. I wish more breweries would do that or even cans. I know the 16 ounce can, you know, it, it looks cooler. A lot of breweries are doing great stuff with can art. Um, and it's a good differentiation from the 12 ounce cans that we maybe associate with, you know, the Bud Lights, Natty Lights of the world. But with beers that are, you know, 8% ABV plus, honestly, 8 ounces is a perfect serving size for me. 16 is just such a commitment, almost no matter how good it tastes. So I like that Highland Park model offering, you know, a 6-ounce pour if you just want to taste something without having to get, you know, really blown away by it. So um, hopefully more people can follow in their footsteps. That would be maybe one of my New Year's resolutions as a right. beer fan for 2022. Smart. Very smart. And. Speaking of smaller serving sizes, that could also apply to the next style we can touch on, stouts. Uh, All right. Danny, any stouts that you particularly enjoyed this past So year? it's funny. Uh, I fell in love. So uh, I'm on Revolution Brewing out of Chicago's, their, their, their mailing list, uh, media list. And they send me, I don't know, seemingly quarterly, a six-pack of either, uh, you know, they have two main threads of barley wine and stout. They have a, a straight jacket is their barley wine and Death's tar or death's tar, uh, Imperial stout. And then they riff on both of those. Uh, and, and then another beer called Ryeway that they riff on. And out of all these variants, I tried, I come back to just their plain 
bourbon barrel aged imperial stout and i was like my god they don't need to add anything to it this thing's perfect but there was one other beer that i opened on christmas night and i can't believe it it was a, a monkish anniversary stout it was a it was a birthday cake in a bottle. I swear to God, it was coconut, <laughs> coconut and vanilla and coffee, and it was about as concentrated as you could as you could get. No soy sauce flavors. It, it was you know nothing you'd want to drink more than two three ounces of. But uh, it was it was almost like a side project beer with like little flecks of coconut or like a Horace beer. It was it was amazing. Good way to team me up because uh, my favorite uh, stout that I tried this year, I will go side projects way. Um, just knowing that we're spoiled with so many great stouts in Southern California as well. You mentioned one that you recently tried from Monkish. Bottle Logic just kills it in the style consistently. I uh, really Always. do enjoy what Horace is putting out. I had a chance to uh, go with a couple friends who are Modern Times members uh, to a tasting they had recently. their downtown LA spot. Um was just, again, really, really wowed by some of the stuff they were cranking out. But Side Project can be such a treat because being where we are, unless you're paying a pretty penny and trading for it, it's tough to get your hands on. Correct. And again, at that Woodshop event, Derivation, it was blend number 15. It was my first time having that beer by Side Project. And it it was just so special. Uh, Again, to your point about not having a bunch of adjects thrown in, this was just pretty much brandy and bourbon barrel aged. Did have some notes of vanilla and chocolate, but they didn't add those to the beer. It's just part of the character that they get with, you know, doing beer the way they do it in those barrels, giving it just the right amount of time, um, you know, a nice, rich, velvety mouthfeel. So there was something about that that was just, you know, so special, knowing that as spoiled as we are with some of our local spots, um, I I get the hype with Side Project. You have a, a small taste of that, and it's going to leave oh my you goodness, more yeah, sure. that's some of the best in the world. And like they they're just remark like everything they do, and it makes it, it is special. I I know maybe it's because it is so hard to get, but uh, what they're doing is very special over there. And I'm I'm glad that they haven't they haven't like hit the gas pedal and uh, said okay, let's go get a huge factory and make a jillion gallons of this. They're they're taking their time. They're they're making just the right amount, and it's it's a treat. It's so phenomenal. Yeah, and I'd say one brewery. I mean, Side Project uh, makes plenty of great sour beer as well, of course, and that's the next style we can tackle. But I'd say one of our local spots that really opened my eyes this past year would be Homage. Uh, was based out of Pomona. I mean, they still are. That's their first location. But they opened up a spot in Chinatown, downtown L.A., same block as Highland Park. So that is a dynamic one-two punch, if I've ever seen one for breweries. And they hit the ground running. They really brought their A game when they first opened. Um, Shortly after they opened their doors in L.A., they released Chat Flues on tap. And for the unacquainted, that is a three-year barrel-aged blend conditioned on Masumoto peaches, which are just known to be the best peaches in the world. I think pretty much any stone fruit from Masumoto Farms is just next level. And this beer, you know, just nailed it. Not just that ingredient, but a true homage, I think, to the Belgian Lambic style of brewing. It was funky, acidic, really, I thought, quite subtle with some peach notes and a light body. Again, just coming out of the gates with a bang in Chinatown. I'm, I'm so pumped to have tried that beer and just bigger picture, even when they don't have something like Chat Flues pouring, Chinatown and Highland Park on the same block, just maybe the biggest win of the year for beer fans in the LA area. I completely agree with that. Um, homage, uh, they, they really something special. Uh, the, the, the mixed culture saisons, the sour ales that they make are world-class. 
Uh, I don't want to say they're underrated, but sometimes they fly under the radar. They don't, they present themselves a little differently than, you know, your average hype brewery or whatever you want to call it. But they low key just come out with world-class sour ales, barrel-aged sours, fruited sours. And anyone who hasn't gotten to try it yet, seek it out. Love it. Yeah, well, moving on from sours to a style that is perhaps less sexy in the eyes of beer geeks, uh, but has definitely stood the test of time. Let's get to something near and dear to your heart, lager. Dan, what have you been enjoying on the lager front recently? So there's a couple great lagers that, uh, I I mean, I had a lot of great lagers. So, um, you know, here here on the West Coast, uh, Radiant Beer Company uh, did a collab with our boy Horace, called light and royalty uh and they invoke they dry hop this pilsner with uh, a hop called talus and it was remarkable it was uh, a unique uh flavor and aroma profile uh i guess new to this hop that you know i'm not very familiar with and it really was a very impressionable uh you know experience um uh, i did a few orders of moonlight brewing up in santa rosa getting some mixed cases and then um this past fall i went and did a tour of portland maine um very unique beer culture there where the beer itself seems secondary to the the gathering the culture just sitting at a a picnic table at a at a at a random tasting room um but i i i found a a a company called bunker bunker brewing that does a check pills called machine pills and you can find that at most places that would have craft beer in portland and then there's a company called shilling brewing that's making to style czech lagers and i had a beer called augustine 13 uh, a dark czech lager that just blew my head off i mean we know green cheek also they kill it on the lagers i i picked up a few of their fest beers uh ren house out of out of phoenix is just their lager game is just incredible um, they had one called, uh, party paper or present paper. Uh, they did a, that was a, a, like a black check lager. Um, I don't know why I'm on this kick, but I think it's just, uh, it's something different for me. And, you know, there's a lot of people just putting their hearts into these beers. It's not just a throwaway, uh, situation where they're like, all right, we need to make a lager or fine we said yes to our brewer go make your lager but we're not going to let you buy all the best ingredients and that's just not the case these days it's a lot of great stuff out there yeah i love the enthusiasm for the lager style maybe the most enthusiastic answer we'll get from you uh, in this entire countdown i had and a sour what, for you but yes no you you've had you you were prepared with everything but the lagers it, it just seems like uh there's just something different and, and extra special about that and I think that can be a wake-up call if there are any, you know, beer geeks listening who've been on a kick with the sours and the hazy IPAs and the stouts. Those are great. They don't need to go anywhere. Um, but lager, you know, for myself, for a long time, it was a blind spot. And sometimes it's just cyclical. You, you know, you go on kicks where you want more of this or less of that. Um, but I, I've really been, you know, rising different lagers in my ranks as well. And one brewery that you mentioned a minute ago, Schilling, assuming no relation to the baseball pitcher, Kurt Schilling, but I will still connect the dots because there's a lager called baseball that Highland Park makes that I have just fallen in love with. It wasn't brand new this year, but they brewed a few fresh batches of it. And whenever they do, I've got to stock up. I mean, sure. they, they just label it a sports lager, 
and it's it's pretty simple. It's it's light and crushable, a bit of a biscuity flavor. I think it could probably pass for a Kolsch if you just, you know, blind taste tested it with somebody who knew beer styles pretty well. Sure. But however they want to brand it, um, you know, a good bit of flavor, but still just easy drinker, crushable, light body. That one always hits the spot for me. And Highland Park, speaking of lagers, like their lager program is fantastic. They just uh, were in the Arts District uh, Schwartzmas, where there was like a a, a black beer uh, showdown at um, in L.A. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And Highland Park makes a, a black lager called Bortz, just perfect. And it's you know, like you said, there's a style for everyone, and you can appreciate all the styles. But it's funny that there's so much stigma over the years for lager. You just think of uh, Miller High Life or something, something that you're like, if I never have that again, I'd be fine. But <laughs> People, people who make great beer tend to also, you know, they can nail these styles. So it's, it's definitely, if you have, you know, some sort of stigma around, Oh, I don't like lager. I'm just in the hazy double IPA. You might want to just throw some in the mix, like in between your, in your, your stouts and your hazies crush a well-made, you know, German style lager. You'd be surprised that it's not as bad as the stuff you were drinking back in college. Well said. Well, we've got one more style to go, and this can be pretty open-ended. We'll call it the flex category. Anything, Danny, outside of the West Coast or Hazy IPA, stout, sour, or lager realm that we haven't touched on that really stood out to you this past year? So uh, there was a couple breweries that made a style called uh, mild or dark mild. It's an English style beer. It's uh, lower alcohol, and this goes back to me kind of easing my way back into beer. So when you hear me get real excited about lager, it's most, I wouldn't say mostly, but at least partially due to the fact that I I know I'm not drinking an 8% beer and that's real important to me. So it's funny. uh, Ren house and monkish both made cans of dark mild this year. Uh, Ren house had a beer called pubber like 3.5%. Tastes like a full body dark beer and same with monkish. They did cans of this beer called dark and mild. And uh, if done right, I mean, Eagle rock brewing here in LA also had a a beer uh, I believe called solidarity. Uh, I could be getting that wrong. uh, You know, my memory, Uh, but you know uh, it's, it's funny because nobody makes them and there's probably no reason, especially for monkish to make them but nailed it. And I just thought it was so funny and so surprising and welcoming to have uh, some people try and do an English style in the middle of, you know, Hayes, Hayes nation. So. Yeah. And I just did some real time research. You're dead on with Eagle rock solidarity as the English dark mild. So that definitely fits the mold. I'll also go with uh, something. uh, This beer is on the darker side, but I don't know how to classify it outside of the flex category. And I'll give a shout out to Celebration Ale by Sierra Nevada. Oh, man. It's branded as a, oh, it's a it's fresh so hop IPA, but it's it's certainly not hazy. It's not really a West Coast. It's more amber in color, but it is an annual rite of passage. And I will bring things full circle once again from our draft because I took Sierra Nevada in the flex category. And I believe the beer that I mentioned was their barley wine, Bigfoot. And as soon as we were done recording, uh, nothing against Bigfoot or barley wine. But I was kicking myself for not mentioning Celebration Ale on that episode. I think it's you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, maybe celebration was a little out of sight, out of mind, but can't let that happen again. And uh, you mentioned a stout by Monkish that you opened up on Christmas. My favorite Christmas beer memory from uh, this past weekend would be at a lodge in Yosemite with my wife. We got a lot of snow. It was a beautiful white Christmas. And after a day of sledding, and we had also done some ice skating, the setting we were in almost matched that iconic can art. And that coupled with just how good the beer, the beer is even without the scenery, it took it right over the top. So yeah, celebration ale. If anybody uh, hasn't already gotten it yet this year, it is still available, I think in a few spots and it's just something every year around the holidays. I think it might as well be the official beer of the holiday season. I want to go as far as to say it's one of the best beers in the world. I know that's crazy to say, I know that's, you know, it's insane when you consider how many beers there are out there but there isn't another beer that I don't get in my car or get in my truck at the end of October and start hitting up liquor stores and grocery stores saying, Hey, did you get it in yet? Uh, There isn't another product or beer that I am that excited for every year. It's the same beer, but I'm still like, I'm ready for it. Come to Papa, get in my car, get in my glass. And it's just remarkable the, the consistency that they've kept over the years this year did a full can run. They did some pilot cans a few years ago. Uh, but this year they did a, I would want to say like a, a 98% run of cans and, you know, certain big box stores got some bottles, but just a remarkable beer. Yeah. I think we've wrapped up the beer style countdown on a high note with that one. One more thing I wanted to touch on. You briefly alluded to it earlier. The return of some beer travel for you, a trip to Portland, Maine, Um, whether it was in Portland or anywhere else you might've been able to venture out to this past year. Is there a favorite brewery visit that stands out in your memory? Um, in Portland, Maine, as I mentioned, uh, it was all the, the, the gathering, the experience. I mean, I had a great time, you know, I went to rising tide. I went to Austin street. I went to Oxbow. I went to bunker. They all were just great, especially because of the people I was with. Now I did go up to Monterey, uh, this Mm. past summer or fall with my family And I got to spend three days, not three whole days, but I did three separate trips to Alvarado Street Brewery in Monterey. Amazing. Just great beer, great weather. It's a cute little old town neighborhood you can take your significant other to, uh, and you can get away with it not being a beer trip. You're like, oh, a brewery, how about that? And, uh, you know, good food, the real freshest beer. And, 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 you know, they they have great hazy IPA. Um, they have great West coast styles. They make great dark beers, great lagers. Um, I had, I tasted the rainbow when I was there and I think that was my favorite brewery experience. Not the typical, you know, industrial parkway factory. Oh, here's some big tanks. This was more of a brew pub and people, people there were there just to have some good beer. Not necessarily. They didn't care what it was going to be, uh, with some good food and, for me, that's just kind of what it's about sometimes. It's, you know, if you don't want to be a beer geek and you just want to enjoy some nice things, like some like a good plate of food and, and some really fresh beer, uh, I mean, that, that, was a, that was a great experience for me. It's so funny you mentioned that uh, right after we wrapped the countdown with a beer that I had in Yosemite on Christmas because my wife and I, while we were there, uh, couldn't resist looking ahead to next Christmas where we might want to be if we can swing a trip. 
and Monterey currently at the top of that list. Alvarado Street, certainly a factor in that for me. And Alvarado Street, the brewery, um, as the name suggests, it's located on Alvarado Street in Monterey. And it, at first glance, is strikingly reminiscent to me of Main Street at Disneyland. I mean, the, the old town vibes you get, just Correct. amazing. Good ice cream shops, uh, just a little bit of everything. It's like stepping back in time. And I love what you described about Alvarado Street because it is a spot where if somebody wants to, you know, go on untapped and, you know, tick off certain beers, they've got stuff that's worth seeking out. But just the experience, the build out, the food, the general vibe, it's not, you know, it's certainly not just for beer geeks. They make it very approachable and just so happen to have um, damn near world class beer across multiple styles. Right, right. I was just, I was very impressed and it was just, it wasn't the beer. I wasn't getting the beer geek experience. I was getting like an everyday man who likes good beer experience. And I thought that made it more special for me. It wasn't like, oh man, I'm going to, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I used to be a ticker, but like I wasn't going in there going, oh man, I want to get four ounces of this barrel aged stout that I, that I might have to ask them for. It was just like, oh cool. Here's like 10 beers they have on tap. I'm going to have a couple glasses of beer. And it was great. Yeah, well, for somebody as plugged in as you are, I feel like I'd be remiss not to also uh, squeeze in a question about any stealth breweries or beer bars on your radar, maybe not getting a ton of acclaim right now, but uh, any spots that you see as being on the rise as we head into 2022. If you can help me pronounce the name right, uh, it's a when I was in Portland, Maine, it was Cafe Novar. I believe that's how it's pronounced, but I, I could have just butchered that. And it's uh, it, feel, it, it was in Portland, Maine, and uh it was the most curated like carefully curated list of beers uh uh, and the best example of each beer um with with and the new hotness is anyone who can get one of those check side pull drafts the l-u-k-r lucre whatever you pronounce it where you can get a, a a glass of pilsner lager with a big fluffy pillowy head um uh, that, that felt, I felt like I was in somebody's comfortable basement. I didn't feel like I was at a pretentious, expensive beer bar. Uh, it felt like home. And I think that would be a good model for anyone, uh, after, after, you know, we get this pandemic out of the way to consider comfort, uh, comfort over, you know, the, the, the sizzle, so to speak, just having a place you feel cozy that you want to belly up to kind of lower lighting, um, just one of the greatest beer bar experiences I've had in years. Yeah. And whether or not the name is easy to pronounce has no impact on the comfort of the scenery and how delicious the beer is. So that's definitely going to go, uh, high on my list for a future trip. I am eager to make for the first time to Portland, Maine. It sounds like a, quite a Mecca in its own right for craft. If you like seafood. Oh my goodness. Just yes. go for the seafood shellfish. Oh my God. Yeah, well, let's talk about as you as you work food into it. Um, the the last topic I'd like to tackle here, and then uh, we'll we'll wrap this up. I want to respect your time. Um, but a food and beer pairing. Regular listeners of this show will know that I often wrap up the football betting episodes with what I call the Malinsky Minute, as a nod to the legacy of the late great sports betting legend David Malinsky. Uh, Danny, this is a guy that I was fortunate to know as a friend and father figure, a partner and a mentor. And, and frankly, just the best man I've ever known. 
Um, he passed away a few years ago, but tomorrow, December 30th, as we record this on the 29th, December 30th would have been Dave's 61st birthday. So I'd like to wrap this up with a nod to him. Of all the people I know that are either foodies or big beer geeks, Dave may be the sweet spot in that Venn diagram when it comes to food and beer pairings. Uh, he loved few things more than that when he wasn't attacking the betting boards. And to that end, is there any food and beer pairing that you may be inclined to recommend to the audience out there? You know, one of the biggest classics, and you've probably heard this, uh, is you take some spicy Thai food and you pair that with a, uh, a classic bitter West Coast IPA. And those two bold flavors somehow work out together. Um, you know, a lot of people like to make beer floats. I think you had one with us at Woodshop. You could take a fruited sour ale, uh, pour it over some good vanilla ice cream. You can't go wrong with that as well. I love the Thai example. I mean, the beer float is delicious. You kind of covered the, the main course and the dessert there. I, I love that. Um, but it's almost as if you knew Dave as well, because his favorite spot, uh, he was famous with his love for a Thai restaurant in Vegas called Lotus of Siam, uh, which I think is, is just about world famous at this point. And West Coast IPA was right in his wheelhouse. Um, so I, I love that recommendation, along with the beer float to wash things down. Um, I will go a slightly different route. I, I probably can't uh, even attempt to one-up what you just doled out. But there's a spot called Fluid State Beer Garden in Ventura. Okay. And I would recommend any IPA on the board with a slice of their Fungus Among Us pizza. It's basically just a fantastic mushroom pizza, if that's your thing. Um, again, they've got a world-class beer list. And I think that pizza might be the best I've had, even including trips to New York City and Chicago. Um, just, just absolutely killer. I think the, you know, crisp, dry stuff you could get from an IPA could contrast really nicely with the, you know, a little bit of grease on the pizza, some bready tasting notes in the beer would pair beautifully with their sourdough crust that they use. And I also think something with a bit of, you know, a hefty ABV, not going too over the top, but you know, some, some good ABV could stand up to some pretty hearty food there. To me, it's just a case where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, you know, maybe one plus one equals three when you factor in that good of food, that good of beer, and the setting can't be beat. I mean, you've got an ocean breeze in Ventura, and the ocean view doesn't hurt either. So right. I'd say if anybody's listening in Southern California and has a chance to get to Fluid State, you can't go wrong by doing that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't been there yet, I believe it's probably not too far from your buddy Andy Carter. So uh, the two of you, if there's a chance to meet up face-to-face. -face, uh, it's, it's a bit of a trip for you, I know, but um, I, I think you would find it well worthwhile. That sounds good. I'm going to try and add that to the list. All right. Yeah, I know you got probably quite the extensive list, so uh, I'll let you get to it here. I do want to go ahead and plug your work as we wrap this up. Thefullpint.com, Twitter and Instagram, at The Full Pint. Of course, The Full Pint Podcast. You did an end-of-year review show in mid-December, and the 2022 prediction show dropped today, just before we started recording. Uh, that's on December 29th for anybody checking their podcast feeds. Danny, is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? Uh, you know, you've covered all the bases. Thank you very much. Um, we keep pushing, uh, you know, that podcast to any of the, the most popular platforms every day. Something seems to be popping up more and more. Uh, we're having fun still creating content. We're getting beer reviews from uh, co-host Andy Carter. Uh, we, we're hoping to get GT Wharton back in the saddle um, while he takes a hiatus from uh, – the website um, and we have some great interviews on deck coming up for the podcast. 
can't wait. Well, you are just killing it. So thanks for all you do on that front. And thank you so much for your time and insight uh, hopping on for this conversation today. And Danny, until the next time we meet in person, have a safe and happy new year and cheers. Thank you, brother. Take care. Goodbye. Thanks again to Danny, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting on YouTube with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. We break down every game every week, and to check it out, you can find a link in the show notes. One more housekeeping item as we close up shop. If you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way, and you can also find a link to that page via these show notes. All right, that'll do it. I'll talk to you next week and next year, and as we wrap things up, I want to take a moment to dedicate this episode to David Molinsky as it drops on what would have been his 61st birthday. As I told Danny during the interview, I was fortunate to know Dave as a friend and father figure and a partner and a mentor. And point blank, Dave's the best man I've ever known. So for those of you who also had the good fortune of knowing Dave or appreciating his work, let's ring in the new year with a toast to his enduring legacy. Happy birthday, Dave.